And we're live. Okay. Welcome back to another MindMeld PR vlog. And I am super excited today. We have a fun topic, how to build a relationship with a reporter. What could and be more fun? Exactly. Exactly. Um, oh, I forgot to introduce myself. I am Jonathan Narvi, the uh, founder of MindMeld PR and the host of the show. Uh, today with me, I have Douglas Soltis, the editor-in-chief and publisher of Beta Kid, and uh, we have a uh, we have a, a long-standing relationship. Uh, yeah. So, so this is kind of the perfect topic for us: uh, how to build a relationship with a reporter. But before we get into our main chat, um, Douglas, maybe you could take a minute or two and just uh, let the audience know. What's your deal? What's your origin story? How did you how did you get to be the expert in this? Go ahead. Yeah, I I would say um, it's honestly sometimes these origin stories are pretty friggin' useless, but I think this one this time it's gonna uh, apply uh, directly because some of the advice that we're gonna talk about isn't just coming from me being a tech journalist, but from being on the other side. Because for the last fifteen years, I've either been working. Uh, for tech companies in some sort of marketing or communications capacity uh, or writing about tech companies as a, a journalist in Canada. So hopefully today I can kind of speak to, to both and, and give some context that'll be helpful for people to understand the dynamics and the relationships in a way that they probably don't have access to uh, prior to this wonderful video series <laughs> you've been putting on. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um... Yeah, I think, you know, just to, to be, you know, lay it out, uh, full disclosure, uh, I used to work with BetaKid. Uh, yes. I was, uh, if I recall correctly, uh, I was either a senior editor or a senior West Coast editor, something like that. Yeah, like, uh, I think we called you our West Coast desk editor, yeah. the, second, the second John that we had in the role. Mm -hmm. So working in Silicon Valley North, that is Vancouver. Mm -hmm. uh, talking about the, at the time, somewhat underreported um, tech scene, and uh, it has grown since then. Um, so, of course, uh, yeah, you were my boss. <laughs> and, uh, uh, yes. Yeah. I, I was more like we had a very friendly relationship, and then sometimes you wrote things for us. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> which, that's is a great, right. which is a great uh, report I have with a, with a writer, especially working remotely. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I, I look back fondly on those days. I, I had a, I had a blast, uh, you know, writing for beta kit. And, uh, in fact that, uh, you know, writing about the tech sector and, and interviewing CEOs, learning about mm -hmm. the leading edge technologies that were out there. Certainly it's, it's not a coincidence that I'm doing tech PR today. So, yeah. uh, and you, you, uh, are directly responsible for one of our most popular articles of all time, which got picked up around the world and was even referenced on uh, Brazilian CNN. And I only know this because I had a friend in the country at the time who messaged me to say, hey, I think they just mentioned Beta Kit on TV <laughs> in uh, Portuguese. I was like, this is awesome. Uh, when you, uh, interviewed and covered uh, the former Uber CEO, Travis Kalanick, speaking that's right. at, I believe, Launch Academy. And that, that, that sucker blew up around the world. So uh, just for, you know, 
uh, folks at home watching this who might not know the the power that uh, Narvi welds. Long <laughs> history of uh, demonstrated experience in the space. Yeah. Well, um, it, that that was a that was an extraordinary. Um, I don't want to say an extraordinary story, an extraordinary unveiling by that particular CEO. Uh, I didn't actually have the one-on-one -on -one interview. He was speaking to a crowd and I was recording mm. his statements. Yeah. Uh, and I couldn't believe he blurted out, yeah, we're just losing a billion dollars a year in China every year. And I'm, what? <laughs> like, uh, Which is particularly interesting uh, because I'm yeah. sure you were probably the tallest man in the room at the time. So it's not like... <laughs> <laughs> he didn't notice you, right? Um, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think, you know, we've established, number one, we have a relationship going back years. Number two, I've, I've talked about in these vlog casts, um, a, you know, about the phenomenon that, that people think that a, um, a relationship will open all doors, uh, instantly unlock all possible opportunities for companies to tell their story. If you've got a relationship with a reporter, if you are a friend with them, it will, you, you, your, your pitch will land 100% of the time. Yeah. yeah. So that's not true. <laughs> not at all. In fact, I, I, I love that we started off just talking about our relationship and then we can now transfer into talking about how often you pitch us things that we never write about at Beta <laughs> Which is a lot. Which uh, is a lot, which is, or, or, you know, a, yeah. a, a relatively understandable amount for, for most PR uh, comms firms, but for um, people watching this might be incredibly surprised to hear that not everything pitched gets written about, um, yeah. or, and the majority of things pitched don't get written about. Yeah. And so, yeah, so just, you know, as, as a purely defensive measure, I'm going to say, um, yes, I, I agree with those stats. It's not just a low percentage for my particular agency. Yeah. Uh, no, this is, uh, I've, I've often said that a pre-existing relationship with a reporter who's covering your niche and uh, they've seen your stuff, they might recognize your email uh, mm -hmm. when you, when you pitch them and it's 99% of the time you're pitching, it's via email, or at least that's what we, we, we do it initially. Um, uh, when you pitch them, uh, a relationship gives you an extra five seconds. They will scan that subject line just a little bit harder. They will, uh, maybe read an extra paragraph into your intro just to be sure. Hey, you know, yeah, I trust this guy. He wouldn't send me junk. Let's see what, let's see what the story actually is. But of course, the story has to be a good fit for that day, for that time. Well, why don't you talk about that? Like, yeah, I would say I see what you're right. The relationship, you know, um, recognizing your name one, and then mm -hmm. having a familiar association with that name goes far in terms of anyone prioritizing their inboxes. Um, we it, it also might give us a little bit more time. I'm, I'm not sure if it's more time reading your content or it's a commitment to, to read that. In, in priority versus other random people where maybe the sentence, uh, the subject line doesn't catch. Um, but I, I, I even think just stepping back um, to this idea of the assumption of the value of the relationship versus all the other things that you need to do to make sure 
that uh, you're forming the right relationships with reporters. Um, because just because you have a relationship with a journalist doesn't mean it's the right journalist for your outcomes. Um, so who should you be forming relationships with? How? Um, what, what should you be presenting them with, I think are all important things that we can kind of dig into in this conversation and uh, maybe draw clear lines of demarcation between the value and the expectations of each. Mm. That's, I'm so glad you brought that up because that leads me to uh, something that I love about what you've done in the past and some other reporters have done who, who know where I'm coming from. Um, and they will say, look, Jonathan, uh, actually, I, I see this story has legs, but it's not quite right for what I'm, I'm working on this week or this month. But let me tell you, I'm friends with this other reporter, and he was mm -hmm. just talking about this very thing. You should uh, reach out to uh, this person who may actually be someone else involved with that particular publication or may actually be in a, in a completely uh, working for, for another um, publication, but reporters know reporters. Yep. Well, and I think that is the perfect in indication of the value of a relationship saving a scenario where the actual work that um, PR companies should be doing, or maybe the expectations that the, the client has have, have um, failed in some way. Right. Um, and it's only through the value of that relationship whereby you are getting uh, a pivot, a repositioning to actually get you where you want to be, which is to the reporter or the publication that is actively interested in the information and wants to write about it. And I, and I think the probably the easiest way for people not in the comm space uh, who are watching this to kind of understand what we're talking about it is to think about it as um, customer profiling. Think about it like, like sales is that you need to profile um, not only the reporters, but the publications and the audiences you want to reach in exactly the same way you do your target customer and, and your pricing tiers or your product offerings. Uh, and if you fail to do that, you are kind of just stumbling around blind in the dark or maybe hiring a communications professional and hoping that they can somehow stumble around in the dark slightly better on your behalf because you haven't done the work to figure out what moves the needle. Um, whether that is, are you trying to reach, uh, are you trying to get news out that appeals to your target customer? Are you trying to get news out that actually appeals to your investors? Are you trying to get information out that will look really cool from a, rec a recruiting standpoint, get your, um, you know, your first hire and things. We hear that all the time related to beta kid stories. Okay. Given that what publications do those people read yeah. given that, what do those publications write about? Who is the reporter that it will be interested in your company in relation to that? Um, I think oftentimes, and I know John, you could probably speak to this more than anyone. You got a lot of people coming to you, assuming that you can solve all of those problems on their behalf, as long as they pay you money. And, and that really isn't the case. You can, yeah. you can solve some of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I will at least say that much. Uh, and, and, you know, there's the old saying, uh, actually, I don't know how old it is, but I, I've recently started using it a lot. Money solves all problems and, uh, you know, take that as, as you will. Uh, certainly it buys more effort and more effort can maybe get results. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, I love what you were saying about, um, you know, making sure you're targeting the right person and the right publication and how much, how akin this is to a sales process. And that's what I'm, I'm thinking about when I'm, uh, working with, uh, when I'm pitching reporters, whether I know them or not, is I'm looking for a win-win, uh, or even a win-win-win. Uh, so, uh, is this, is this story something that's, um, uh, interesting to the reporter? Is it interesting to their, uh, their audience that's, that's reading their stuff? And of course, is the story that's going to be produced is, is my client going to be happy that that is the story that got out there? Uh, and, and it's not about spoon feeding journalists, you know, exact, the exact messaging and, and treating them like a stenographer. It's, it's, uh, really getting a, a feel for, what do they care about? What, what are they interested in? Um, you know, a lot of journalists, let's face it, um, are, are in this uh, business because they have certain things that, that they are super passionate about and, and, and they want to write about and, they're, and they're, they have stories that they want to tell. They're just looking for, okay, well, what, what is the vehicle through which I can channel the kind of message I actually kind of want to get out as, as a writer and a, and a journalist. Um, and, you know, so this, I, I, I think, yeah, I, I'm, what I'm getting at is again, like you were saying, it's, it's about targeting uh, someone who uh, in, in, you're targeting them in a sales oriented manner, which is not to say like a used car salesman, but more yeah. like trying to get that win-win. Yeah, and, and I, I would think that most journalists and most comms professionals would probably look at me saying that with disgust because they don't consider their work that way. Um, journalists might say what you, we've been articulating in a different way, uh, not in terms of win-win-wins. They're more like, hey, man, I don't write about this stuff. I wrote about this. This is what I care about, or this is what my readers care about. Why are you pitching me when someone else in the publication writes about this? Don't waste my time we don't, don't email all of us, don't spam us, you know, uh, presented in this way. But I, I want to kind of like ladder out from the journalist perspective and communicate it in a way that people at these companies might be a little bit more familiar with. And that is like, this is inbound marketing, like getting coverage for, to a certain extent. Like if you're a publicly traded company, if you're an Uber, if wor words come out of the CEO's mouth, that's news. If you're not at that level, you need to work for coverage until you get to the point where your company is justifying its own coverage because it's big enough, successful enough, and so on. And the way that you um, get earned media is by earning it. <laughs> and you got to do work to make that happen because you are relying upon others to tell your story for you to a certain extent. Now, yeah. one component of inbound marketing is telling your own story and creating a bunch of momentum to create inbound leads and things like that. And you shouldn't see the communications or PR processes um, very much outside that. There are different particulars, but it should kind of um, fit into that, that funnel approach. If you're writing blog posts every week and doing stuff on social media and really doing work with like influencers to make sure you're targeting the right individuals, you can apply the same or similar methodologies to contacting journalists, publications and, and the like.
Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk a little bit about cultivating the relationship. Mm-hmm. So how is that done? Um, I was reading a, a funny uh, LinkedIn complaint from a some tech reporter in, in Silicon Valley, and, and he was like, look, if I said yes to every single PR person who invited me to come out for coffee mm-hmm. uh, to, dis- to discuss what kind of stories uh, uh, they want to put out, I would be spending all my time uh, just drinking coffee in cafes, like, and I wouldn't get any work done. So yep. um, I, I feel like, you know, that that's not a hard and fast rule. Like it's just, it's again about picking your moments. Like I, I've taken out journalists for, for coffee or lunch because I- Or adult beverages be. from time to time. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, and you know, it's not like, it, it's just like, you know, treating them like a human being and, um, you know, trying yes. to, and, and very often, you know, or actually all of these relationships should not be, you know, just some BS, uh, uh, you know, sort of scheming way of, of getting into the headspace of a reporter. Like I, yes. I, I want to, you know, work with people uh, in, a, in a collaborative way, uh, in a human way. You know, these are, these are people, they have needs. Uh, and, and also journalists are often some of the most interesting, uh, quirky, uh, um, you know, doing all kinds of neat things, uh, in their off time. Uh, they're just interesting people to, to talk to. They want to talk about big ideas. Uh, so I, I love listening to reporters. Uh, yeah. Those. While, while your background preparation process can be as heavily researched and technical as you, as you want it to be or the time that you want to put in. If it's missing that human element, you're going to fall short. If I receive a, a form email that I know you've sent to 20 other journalists, which I can obviously recognize because who can't, then, then you've, you've kind of dropped the ball at the one yard line. But we, you know, when I do uh, workshops with various innovation hubs across Canada, because we feel like talking to early stage companies through that format is a great way to kind of, um, put good back out into the community, but then also help us down the line when they're ready to have news. We, we tell them to not be weird, to not be stupid, and to not be entitled. And really that's just being a good person and human in your interactions. But I want to go back to something you were saying about um, building the relationship and why, why would that be a component? Generally, it's a given that, as we said off the top, if you have a relationship with a journalist, you're going to get more time in, in space with them, uh, but you're also going to have a better understanding of what it is they want to write about, what their focus is, what they're interested on, all those quirky ideas that if you have something you can tee up, maybe it's not news in the specific sense of an announcement, but like, hey, we have a, we have a really great expert who could speak to you about um, X, Y, and Z because we know you've been reporting on it a lot or mm-hmm. you've, been, you've been publicly stating that you're looking for people to talk about this. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a relationship that goes a long way as opposed to, um, you know, a cold email being like, my CEO is available for comments on the global news that everyone else wants to comment on. Um, developing that relationship, as, as you so uh, perfectly put it, for um, senior experienced journalists is difficult because they already have the relationships that they feel that they need. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they're looking to develop new ones, they're probably proactively doing that themselves. Mm-hmm. I think the approach is, okay, I can't get um, 
senior journalist X to sit down for coffee for 30 minutes so that I can extract a lot of value and learn what they want or interested in. But there's a bunch of junior reporters who start every semester graduating who don't have a network, who would love to get um, inundated into that world, have contacts, learn that you can be targeting. And they're also people more likely to write about your company and its, and its story versus the high profile um, name. Right. Mm. Uh, I think a lot of times people look at the name on the byline or the publication and value that more than the impact of like which publication is writing a story or uh, who it's who it's reaching. But again, this is a really simple way to say, you know, think about it. If you're a startup with a freemium model, are you are you starting trying to get them to pay you? the $100 a month or are you starting them off at the low level that you can kind of work them up to um, and, and kind of close down the line. And I, I think that communication approach um, should reflect that. Yes. Yes. Very much so. Um, th there's another uh, aspect I wanted to get into. Um, sorry, th this is a bit of a, a weird segue, but. Um, Let's do it. It's your podcast, buddy. Let's go. <laughs> You take it uh, one. I, I want to talk about protecting the relationship. Uh, and, and so, and this is from the PR side, uh, mm -hmm. because the client may make certain demands yes. again, again, thinking that, Hey, this, you're the, the PR flack that I'm, I'm paying big bucks to make things happen, make things happen. So the, the worst, I, I maybe it's not the worst thing, but just, a. a an example of where a client may be asking for things that you know is going to sabotage this relationship. Yeah, this, uh, this is, is great. I'm glad, I'm glad we're getting here. Cause this is an, this, I don't even think mm. this is a segue. I think this is the extension mm. of what we were just talking about. Right. Mm. Because we know, and you know, when saying don't be weird, stupid or entitled yeah. that if there is a PR and comms team involved or a, a third party agency, Mm -hmm. that there's there's pressure and that weird stupid and entitled rolls downhill yeah. and then it falls upon the journalists so a lot of the times ruining a relationship can come from the stress and the pressure of getting covered that's coming mm -hmm. from the company which is actually probably stressed uh, and pressured to make money raise mm -hmm. a new round do all these other things so they're venting all this out on if we could just get some coverage that would solve all the problems yeah. it's, it's not going to but that's yeah. where the pressure is going Right. And then they're looking at this comms team to say, if you guys could just do your job and get this done and they write about it, then all of this will be resolved. And then you have this journalist who's just sitting at a desk, probably drinking too much coffee, having all of this presented onto them. And they have two options. They can engage with it, try to solve other people's problems, or they can archive that email and move on to the other things that they have to do. Um, so when you're looking at you know, protecting a relationship. If you're a comms person in the position of you are getting weird requests from whoever decides, um, you know, let's be honest, it's usually the CEO. It's usually like a young white male CEO who's not used to being told no, uh, or who assumes that communications and PR is very similar to like pitch meetings with VCs, which is a very different format. Um, there's a couple of things you can do, especially if you value the relationship. If you've communicated expectations to your CEO, that like being weird, stupid, or entitled isn't gonna work, and they still want you to do it, you have a relationship with a journalist. You can say, hey, I've got a pitch, 
I know you're not interested in it. I'm required to send this to you <laughs> as part of a check mark of, hey, this is the outreach that we've done. And, and this happens with significantly larger agencies as well, where they're working for a major global client and they're just like, not only how many people um, covered it, how many people they reached out to is a reflection of the work that they're doing. They're just sending stuff off knowing that we're, we might, might not even look at it. Like we don't write about new laptops being released on BetaKit. It doesn't stop those agencies from sending it to us because they have that pressure to send it out and justify their work. The, the um, comms people that we really value that work with us are ones that are like, hey, I don't think you're interested in this. Wanted to maybe flag it, pass it your way. Uh, or I'm going to say that I sent it, but just double check you would be interested in this, right? And we would say, no, thank you. Appreciate you saving my inbox, not wasting my time or making me feel weird about, you know, you know, we know, we know that you know, we know that you know that we know that you know. So calling us four times about the email that you sent that you know we were never going to cover in the first place isn't doing any of us uh, any good. Uh, you can you can manage that relationship in a way where they're going to appreciate you being a human being. Mm. Yeah, which is, which is much better than just continuing to send it to her like three or four times in a week as a follow up. That doesn't get anyone anywhere. It's wasting your time as well. Totally, totally. I think that was those are some excellent examples. The the one example I would add to this uh, actually didn't have to do with the original pitch. It was. We actually got coverage, uh, and I, I think it was—it uh, might have been actually a story that would appear in BetaKit. And um, after we um, got confirmation from the reporter, oh yeah, this is going to be in the uh, on online uh, tomorrow or the next day. Mm -hmm. um, the um, I remember the the it was the CEO or maybe the the VP of marketing internally. Um, and this was years ago, um, she came back to me, oh, I'd, I'd, like, um, um, I'd like them to include these eight changes uh, in, you know, in, in, in the story. Oh yeah, so actually, yeah, that, that's, sorry, that's what happened is the, the story came out and they were like, and it ranged from uh, taking out a comma where it was, perfectly optional to have a comma yeah. in the, in the, in the sentence. Dealer's choice. To, we we rewrite or die yeah. for the Oxford comma beta kit. So yeah. keep that in mind. Uh, and it ranged from that to including some boilerplate uh, that had been in the about section of the, uh, the that goes at the bottom of every release yeah. uh, that the reporter had chosen not to include in the story. And it's like, well, I know the reporter saw it and if they didn't decided not to include it, well, that's, that's yeah. on them. And, and, um, I, I think, so I, there were eight requests in a lengthy email that, uh, that they wanted. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to just forward on this email to the reporter because, mm -hmm. um, yeah, they're, they're, it's, it's going to annoy It's not going to go well. <laughs> um, yeah. so I picked out there, there were actually two things that I thought were fair in, in, in the request that actually would have made for a better story. And uh, actually, and one of those also uh, was just a link back to the company, which isn't required in, in any, every story, but uh, for this mm -hmm. particular publication, it, 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 was un, it was quite common to link back yeah. to the company that's mentioned. So I didn't think that was like a big thing to ask for. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. Okay, this is great. So um, I think everyone should recognize watching this uh, what a delicate job Narvi did in not naming names, which I think it should, is appreciated because he could totally put company on blast and I would have fully supported that. Um, but I think, you know, what we're talking about here is really expectation setting on both sides. So for the communications people listening to this, it's about setting expectations of actually what this process looks like, how it's going to happen, not just the lead up to the publication of a story, if it happens, but what happens afterwards. Uh, and then if you are on the executive side, working with communications professionals, before you hire them and you're like, ah, I want to get something published, understanding what it means to have something published and what that process looks like and what happens after the fact and what is acceptable to ask for or expect. Because at the end of the day, and this is journalist hat, we don't work for you. We have no obligation to you at all other than getting the facts straight. Um, and if ever there's an email that we receive where, hey, there's um, some information that's incorrect here, or uh, as you were saying, hey, there's something that you may have missed that you might be useful. Like we always appreciate that because we one, don't wanna get things wrong. We wanna correct errors and we wanna have the best possible story out there. There's been, uh, I think multiple times where we've written a story and then new information has come to light and it's been presented to us. And we're like, hey, we appreciate you sending that because it just makes the story more detailed and informative and, and valuable. Great. Um, saying that there are factual errors when they're in fact, we just, you just don't like the way that we wrote about your company or it's not to your boilerplate uh, marketing messaging, which we are under, under no obligation to use, isn't the way that any human thinks of a company and um, probably isn't the way that you should be marketing your company if we want to get to like that other uh, podcast episode. Um, those are not factual inaccuracies that we have, you know, any time or interest responding to. Uh, and you are putting various relationships and access to publications at risk if you are, can I swear on this? Yes, please do. An asshat. <laughs> if you're an asshat, you might be burning bridges. And so, but I think a lot of this comes from, you know, again, you were saying this, the request came from the head of marketing, not someone on the communications side. If they're seeing the outcome of this as an extension of their marketing machine, of course they would expect to request changes and they're just gonna write it the way that we want. Um, we had a company today where a junior marketing manager reached out to us about a press release and they were under the assumption that they would publish that, we would publish that for them that we would publish their press release. So obviously just a person not understanding this world being asked to do a task and having the wrong set of assumptions. Um, so, and that can be difficult when I'm talking beforehand about approaching your targeting as you would with your marketing and sales machine, because those are great tactics to identify who you wanna be reaching out to, what they're interested in, and the message or the story that would work and assuming that we work for you in some way mm. <laughs> and that you have ownership over your own story, which, you know, at a certain point you don't, you might be a private company. Uh, you might have no interest in talking to the press, but particularly if you're reaching out to press for coverage, once you've kind of broached that, there's very little recourse for you to say, well, we don't, we don't like the way that we're covered. Right. Please do it another way. Um, and I think, Anyone on the non-comm side hearing this should internalize that, work to understand and listen to communications professionals when they say, 
in, in probably a very polite way, like Jonathan did, this is a bad idea. Um, and then communications professionals, I think you save headaches down the road by setting expectations up front. So it doesn't happen when CEO or someone wakes up Monday morning at 8am to see the story that they're excited about. And then they spit out their coffee because it didn't include all the things that they wanted to see, which mm. also happens. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's that all of that deals to comes down to expectations. Excellent. Excellent. I, one last thing just to uh, build on that. Um, we, you, you were talking about, um, you know, basically if, if you don't want to start to get out, num I mean, number one, uh, you know, don't be talking to journalists if, if you don't want your story, if you don't, if you don't want any chance that your story is going to be, you know, go out in a way that, that you don't like, well, don't talk to the journalist, but that, then there's, you know, there's the old rule, which, um, you know, I was taught back in journalism school around, um, you know, reaching out to reporters and let's say, so you, you know, you've got a friendly relationship with a reporter and you want to give them a heads up about something, but it's not totally official yet. Mm -hmm. uh, and you, you don't, so you don't want that news to come out right away, but you want to give, you, they're a friend and, and you want to let them know. Yep. Uh, so simple trick. And it, I don't know that I, maybe it's not a trick. It's just a simple tactic, I, I guess. Yeah. It's a, it's a tactic to navigate yeah. the, the gray area of expectations, which I'm yes. glad you're really digging into. Yeah. Is, is, uh, you, you tell them, look, what I'm about to tell you this is off the record and I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell you when we're back on the record. Uh, mm -hmm. but right now I'm speaking off the record. So please stop recording. And then you just, you tell them what is this, this thing that is eating you up yeah. inside that you have to share with them. And, and you don't, you don't tell them until they consent to it being off the record. Mm -hmm. Um, because I think, you know, going back to the context for this, for people who are unfamiliar, I think, you know, they might be familiar with, their company's storytelling because especially early stage companies, you're telling your company story all the time. You're trying to get people aware. You're trying to raise funding internally. You're building your story, figuring out uh, your values, what you believe in pitching it all the time. It's a uh, very different circumstance to be pitching your story in a boardroom or a pitch competition and in engaging with a journalist, because that is a conversation that you don't control. And recognizing that you don't control it going in will save you from making horrible mistakes because the assumption, I think, in more private, close scenarios is that you can share that information, say after the fact, hey, withhold that. And given the context of that, um, you know, we've, we've been to pitch competitions where we've been invited to, where the company pitching, knowing that we're there, sitting in like the third row, would share private internal numbers and then ask the room, no one uh, share that, that's private. As if they were just through some sort of magical fairy dust, there was, a, there was a take back that could happen in our brains or that we would consent to that. I think going in with understanding that you don't control um, that context is really important. And that there are tactics like saying, hey, this is off the record. Do you agree to it? Okay, we're off the record now, I'll share some stuff go back on the record or, Hey, I have information I want to share, but we don't want it to get out yet. Um, would you accept an embargo where I can share some information with you and at agree upon publishing date? So, Hey, we have a big announcement, but it's uh, almost July 1st. We don't want a story going up on Canada day. We're thinking of doing it second week of July. 
Is it, would it be okay if uh, you agree to not share this information until then? Perfect, here's all the information. But that comes with consent. It is a two-way street. Um, yeah. And it is not something that you can claw back or dictate, certainly before the fact, but um, not after the fact. Hmm. I have, I have a question for you just on that tiny point of embargoes, or maybe it's mm -hmm. not a tiny point. Um, do you generally, um, um, do you require exclusivity or, uh, or would you be okay with, let's say, um, you know, a, a company is putting out a, a press blast to a, a very large number of reporters and saying uh, in their, in their just general pitch, which, uh, Anyways, they, they include, look, this won't actually be true until X yeah, day. Yeah. Okay, it was great. Um, I love that you're asking this question because now we're getting like, and Darby for everyone watching here is doing a great thing where he's asking a journalist for his perspective on how Betakit prefers it so that go, um, going into future situations, he is aware of that and will adjust accordingly his, his strategy and stuff. I'm going to answer from the Betakit perspective and then agnostic from Betakit because you know the important thing is that our approach, our beliefs are different from other publications, right? We have different conditions. So I don't want people going into this being like, oh yeah, the, the guy in the tweet cap from Betakit said to do it this way and it didn't work with you know, business in Vancouver or Toronto Life or all these other places that are completely different publications with different audiences, different um, editorial standards, things like that. Uh, I will say for us, and I would, I would think for most publications, if we could exclusively write all of the news, we would, and we would love that. But we understand uh, even a, in a small media market like in Canada, that that is difficult. And if it's a situation where a company is coming to us with news, even in a very small Canadian tech media market as a subset, there are a couple other publications that they might want to get coverage with. So we hope for exclusives, um, but we understand that this might be a story that would go out in Betakit, The Globe, TechCrunch, The Next Web, and that we're reporting on it for our audience and that there are other audience of interest. Totally understand that. Um, now, that being said, you were talking about the, the embargo, you're talking about two things. You're talking about the exclusivity and the embargo. If you are sending out a blast of news to a bunch of journalists and that email just says, hey, this is under embargo, blah, 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 blah. None of those journalists <laughs> have accepted an agreement with you before receiving that. It's, it's kind of like when you get an email from someone on the legal team that's like, hey, this information is confidential. You can't share it with anyone. Yeah, you can. You totally can. You didn't, it, they put it in your inbox. Like it's, um, it's a bunch of uh, CYA protection that doesn't really hold up, particularly not um, in the journalistic reporting sense. So if you're gonna put a bunch of information and send it out to a bunch of people saying, hey, go live at this time and place, you either have better have a relationship with them beforehand where they know that, hey, there's a familiar relationship here. They wouldn't send this. They know that we would agree to this. We're doing this coordination or fully expect that story to get published immediately as that publication is like, we didn't agree to embargo, thanks. Uh, we're gonna write about it now. Or, hey, uh, you sent this to us, but it's because we've been investigating this. <laughs> we reached out to you. 
you can't just send it under embargo somehow and, oh, we're in a stasis field. We no longer can write about it. We've had companies try to do that to us where we're trying to interview them. We have the information already. We're going to run it. Like our exclusives kind of come from our reporting, not from these relationships. And they're like, yeah, well, here's this thing under embargo. You are now freeze raid. We've got you. And it's like, no, that's not, it's not even, even, even an agreement to embargo and off the record, those are, um, mutual not enforced by yeah, right. yeah mutually agreed to and not enforced yeah. by the rule of law right. so what are you going to do you're going to okay. build relationships and 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 trust in them and if the relationship is broken maybe work to repair it or burn it as necessary right yes. um I, I, so all of these particulars yeah. are super important and why you hire comms professionals like John Nari, whose entire job is to navigate this minefield separate from the announcement, the messaging, the news. Um, but I don't wanna to spend too much time in the little weeds of it, only just to expose the audience to the idea that this world exists. Um, so, so that when they're talking to their comms professionals, when they're making an announcement, they have the, the required amount of like fear and respect for the process in the same way that if it's like, Hey, engineers, we want to make everything on the, in the app blue by tomorrow. And they're like, that's impossible. And would take this many days and it might bring the server down. You wouldn't be like, yeah, 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 whatever. I, I'll just, I'm just going to go into the interwebs and hack some code. You'd be like, okay, engineer, I trust you. <laughs> we hired you for a reason that when it comes to um, marketing communications that you trust the professionals that you hired just as much because, um, you know, think of every public scandal snafu that blows up in the media. There's a reason why a lot of those things happen. And it's because somebody didn't listen to their comms professional saying, no way in hell are we saying that. That is the worst idea ever. Um, so I wanted, I wanted to get that out and then I'm, you know, I'm always dig into the, the itty bitty details. I'm so glad you, you brought that up and uh, yeah, trust, you know, relationships are built on trust. And if that seems like thin ice to be standing on, well, I guess that depends on the quality of your relationship. And if you don't have full trust with a, a, a journalist, if, if you're not, um, you know, as, as you say, if, if uh, your, your only relationship, if you're trying to freeze raise someone, that's not a sign that you have a good relationship with them in the first place. Um, yep. And uh, it was very, very true in that circumstance. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, society is built on trust to, to like on a very fundamental level level. We, we sort of trust that when you cross the road, there's not, you know, half the people in cars are going to try to run you down. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there's trust on a societal level and then trust on an individual level. And you, you've got to build relationships in a genuine yeah. way to, to know who you're dealing with. And I'm saying this as much as someone like, you know, the, there's some journalists who'd be like, don't tell them, don't tell them this stuff, let them screw up. It'll make our jobs easier. But, and, and that may be true in some instances and in other instances, it might create more of a headache. I think as someone who has worked on the other side, who knows how hard it is to build a company uh, around an idea that um, I'm not suggesting that you don't work with media, that you don't pursue coverage. I'm suggesting that you really consider why you're doing it and go into it with an understanding of the risks. It's not as simple as getting the um, one person on your team with a liberal arts degree to write up something in a word doc 
and send it out to journalists. Mm-hmm. You know what you're getting into, respect the process, and then you will um, mitigate your risk. Right. Uh, I think we've covered that very, very well. And I, I have one final question that uh, we could probably have a whole other uh, episode just devoted to this, but I'm going to ask you to uh, answer it fairly succinctly just because I got to run in about five minutes. Um, I will do my best, or I will give you yeah. the tweet length answer. Yeah. Um, sponsored content is yeah. very uh, much part of most publications, if not all of them, uh, whether you're uh, you know, newspaper, magazine, YouTube, what, whatever, uh, you, there's often options to pay for placement. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're trying to build a relationship with a reporter in a publication, does using their sponsored content uh, option at the start, or I guess at any time in the relationship, Horrible. does that- Horrible. Uh, <laughs> it's a really bad because here here's why right and here's where the the weirdness is and the conflicting of the streams and i'm in a unique position operating as kind of the publisher for beta kid and the editor-in-chief to speak to and see both sides if, if you're pitching a journalist saying hey we we're thinking of doing some sponsored work and you're dangling that as a carrot out in front of covering their story one that journalist doesn't care about the sponsored stuff they're just going to pass it to the person who's responsible it, it didn't help in any way if you are dealing with the at a higher level of the organization and trying to do that it's very easy to recognize. It's like they're asking about sponsored stuff because they actually want coverage. And then that puts you in a very specific bucket. Like you have, you are not a person who's come up with this magical idea of like, you know, uh, Machiavellian um, engineering your coverage in some way. Like don't, don't do that stuff. Uh, now sponsored content can is a, a valuable approach. Remember we talked about, um, you know, earn media, we talked about inbound marketing, things like that. You can work to do sponsored activities. Bacon does a lot of sponsored activities. We love it. We love working with partners to give us money to do things, to do content for our audience that we would love to put out there. If you are trying to pay to get someone to write something that you would hope that they would write without paying, consider how that aligns to your... Um, overall objectives, but then also consider the value of the publication you're talking to. I think there's a lot of publications out there that don't have a certain set of journalistic integrity. And we know because we get this because people will ask us about our prices versus some other publication where it's like, okay, so yeah, we want you to write about us. How much is it per article? And we're like, what, what are you talking about? We don't like, and these are people in the ecosystem who read us every day who just assumed that some companies were paying for stuff. And we're like, no, we choose what we read. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? So, um, if if you're you know if you're working for one of those maybe like, or talking to one of those daily sites that publish a lot of posts per city, and and maybe there's a expectation there that might get you something. It might be a useful marketing expense, but that's not the kind of stuff that we're talking about here on this episode. And right. uh, I would say knowing that you got to go. If we want to come back and do another episode just on sponsored content and how that aligns to a broad marketing strategy, I would be happy to do that. But it really is a whole other subject. Well, Douglas, I look that way. Yeah. I look forward to um, talking with you in future on another episode, probably very, very soon. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, So before we go, uh, you have been listening to the MindMail PR vlogcast. I am Jonathan Narvey the host of the show and the founder of MindMeld PR. 
Uh, I've been speaking with Douglas Soltis, the editor-in-chief and publisher at BetaKit. And um, Douglas, if someone yeah. wanted to find out more about you yourself or BetaKit, uh, where would they find you? Uh, I think the best way to reach out to me would be on Twitter, uh, using the handle at Tron, T-R-O-N, uh, which is the best way to reach me. Uh, and if you do that, I will actually tell you the nickname that we've had for John Narby for uh, many years that I've been trying not to scream out on this podcast because it's such a great nickname. Um, so that's, that's a little call to action for you all. If you want to know the inside secrets off the record, hit me up on Twitter. Perfect. Patron. All right. Thank you. Uh, should we mention the Patreon coming up or is that sort of, sorry, did I, oh, oh, no, no, uh, I, I didn't say anything. All right. Cut. Bye. <laughs> This okay. is I'm <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to cut that. Okay. All right, Douglas, uh, thank you very much. And uh, uh, yeah, have a great afternoon. Bye-bye. Thank you, man. I, I appreciate it.